Section 25 of The Lion's Brood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rutherford Osborne. The Lion's Brood by Duffield Osborne. Section 25. Melkarth. Two moons had waxed and waned. Pacuvius Calavius had dined in his winter triclinium for the first time this year, and Marcia was rejoicing at the omen. She watched her host as he lay back upon his couch and noted with pity the change that had come over him. When he had greeted her coming, he had seemed not very much past middle age, a brisk man, well-preserved in mind and body. Now he was old, very old, and the pallor and wrinkles were prominent through the flush of the wine and the paint with which he strove to hide them. Even his ambition was dead. He hardly sought the Senate House, but, stopping within doors, maundered querulously and unceasingly to Marcia, to his servants, to anyone who would listen to him of the blunders that were being made, and how war and negotiations should be conducted, speaking always as a man from whom such things had no personal interest. The diadem of Italy that had once blinded his eyes to good faith and oaths of alliance had melted away in the flames of the pyre that consumed his son. As for Marcia, she had come to regard him with something of that indulgent consideration which we feel the aged and infirm. His former attitude toward herself, which had filled her with contempt and disgust, had vanished utterly, and, in its place, was a fatherly kindness that had now no nearer object upon which to lavish itself. As for the household, what little discipline had once pertained was gone. The slaves were no longer punished and slave-like. They presumed upon their master's gentleness or indifference. They pilfered right and left. They neglected duties and orders until, at last, a large measure of the care of her host and his house devolved upon Marcia alone. And Marcia also had softened and grown kindlier and was as slow to ask for punishments as was Calavius to decree them. They seemed like two who were awaiting death and would not add to the measure of human misery, knowing from their own how great this was. Let them enjoy a false freedom for a few days longer, said Calavius. Soon we shall be gone, and then who knows? I have no heirs, and the state may not deal so kindly with them. Strangely enough, he seemed always to assume Marcia's coming death along with his own, and when she gazed into her mirror, its story molded well with that reflected in the mirror of her thoughts. She had grown thin, very thin, and pale, and her eyes burned large and luminous as with the fires of fever. Her lips, too, were redder even than when the blood had tinted them with hues of more perfect vigor. Hannibal had continued to preserve the attitude of respectful consideration which had marked his demeanor on that day of which they never spoke. He still greeted Calavius as father, 
when he came to ask about his health, and on the days when he did not come, he sent some Carthaginian of rank, generally Idilcar, to make courteous inquiries in his stead. Clavius, on the other hand, complained continuously of the Shalishim's delay, and Hannibal listened with downcast face, frowning to himself, and made no answer except that he was the servant of the gods. Marcia's presence he entirely ignored. Still, he spent little of his time in Capua, and of this Calavius was now speaking. Truly, did you note the news we had received today, my daughter? Two of the new engines destroyed before Cassilinum. Cassilinum, forsooth, a paltry village, against which the Capuan children would hardly deign to march. It is Rome, Rome, Rome that calls, and this great general, this conqueror, sits down before Nuceria, Asere, Nola, Cassilinum. Soon, mark me. And his eyes gleamed prophetic. Rome will sit down before Capua, and then receive thou me, O death, who art my friend and well-wisher. Marcia wondered at this vehemence so different from his manner through all these weeks. But the omens, my father, she said after a moment's pause, I have heard that the gods of Carthage forbid the march north. Perhaps they fear to contend with the gods of Rome at the foot of their own hills. Tush, girl, exclaimed Calavius impatiently. Who does not know that the gods say such words as their thievish priests filch from them? Mark now this fellow that comes from the captain-general. Do you not see how the fingers of his left hand clutch and unclutch? Were Hannibal to crucify him and a few like, his gods might utter more favoring responses. Meanwhile, our engines that should thunder at your Capenium gate are consumed before mud heaps, and who knows but all the time some tree grows stouter that it may bear the weight of this Hannibal, the slave of gods that should be taught their place and their duties. Marcia, despite her complicity, listened, shuddering, to these sacrilegious words, and mingled with her shrinking from a philosophy that dared to talk of the immortals as mere means to be used or cast aside as human ends might dictate, was a terror lest similar reasoning should at last find place in Hannibal's mind, and thus bring to naught her aims and her sacrifices. It was easy to see how the general chafed at the unwanted delay, and with what willingness he listened when another spoke the words which he himself dared not utter. Calavius had but just finished his tirade when they both turned at a slight noise and saw Idilcar standing in the entrance of the room. How long he had been there, what he had heard, neither knew, but his face wore the subtle smile which, though well-nigh native to its lines, yet seemed always to bear some hidden import. The favor of Melkarth and of the Baalim be with you, he said softly. Your servants, my Pacuvius, are not over well trained. There was no offer to bear word of my coming, no offer of attendance. The porter hardly deigned to swing the door for me. 
Marcia, knowing Idilkar as she did, was prompt to take this speech in the light of an explanation of his eavesdropping. But the once sharp intelligence of Calavius had been too much deadened to search for secondary meanings. I am an old man, priest, he said querulously. Why should I leave stripes and crying behind me? Idilkar shrugged his shoulders. That may be, he replied, but if we had such servants as yours in Carthage, we should send their shades ahead of us. He had indeed deftly parried any attack or inquiry. Then, suddenly, and of his own accord, he turned back to strike. And so you have been condemning the piety of the Shalishism, the integrity of the College of Priests, the truth of the gods themselves, for aught I know. Have a care. He was lashing himself into a fury. I have listened to your words. If I reported them, how long before you would both be sent to Carthage to keep comradeship with that terrible fellow, Decius Magius? Have care. Have care lest the gods strike through me, their servant. Nevertheless, the gods are merciful to those who bring offerings, peace offerings of gold and jewels and raiment and spices. Come, what will you give me that I smother their wrath? I, Adilkar, your friend, whom you speak ill of behind his back, whom you hate, yes, both of you. And his eyes flashed at Marcia with a strange recklessness that she had never seen in them. Wondering and terrified, she listened to his outburst of rage. But Calavius heard it calmly and answered, without troubling himself to probe its import. You shall have a talent of silver and such jewels as you choose, he said, rising. I will go and give the orders. Orders, sneered the other. But to Marcia it seemed that the word and look covered suspicion at the ready acquiescence of the Capuan. Then I will go with you and see that these orders are obeyed. Come. Ah, uh, and he turned to Marcia. And will you be here when I return? I wish to speak with you. She inclined her head, still wondering, and when they had left the room her wonder deepened. Surely a change had taken place. A Carthaginian was always said to love money, but for Idilkar to seek to obtain it by such crude and violent means from a man whom his general professed to honor and protect seemed to augur something of which she knew not. Either Hannibal's protection was to be, for some reason, withdrawn, or else. But what else could embolden the priest to such license? The look, too, with which he had regarded herself. She had restrained him with some difficulty during the past months, but now she felt instinctively that her control had vanished. Even violence seemed near, for that Idilkar could be fool enough to dream that his mere repetition of the words he had listened to would enrage Hannibal. She did not for a moment believe. The general had heard the same from Calavius face to face, and had only frowned and bit his lips behind his beard, as if feeling their justice. What then could have happened? Ah, you are still here. She looked up quickly and saw that the priest had returned alone. He went on, speaking quickly and nervously, but in low tones. The time has come, and so you were thinking, 
Thinking of what? Was it rejoicing that Tanis was to give you to me so soon? And he showed his teeth like a dog. Listen, they suspect me. I have done all as you wished. But there was a council today in the camp before Cassilinum, and Maharbal fell on his knees, as he did after Canae, and begged to march north. Not with the cavalry alone, as then. He knew it was too late for that, and the Shalisham knit his brows and frowned. Then Hasdrubal and Carthalo added their prayers and pleadings, gathering around him, and then he turned his somber face to me and asked if it was permitted. But before I could answer, for my mind was disturbed, that animal whom they call the fighter had drawn his sword and held it over my head, crying out, Yes, friends, it is permitted. See? It is permitted. And then I felt myself grow pale, and I heard the great beast laugh. A moment later, and Hannibal had ordered him to put up his sword, and I saw Maharbal whispering quick words in the general's ear, among which it seemed to me that his lips formed your name. Again, Hannibal asked, Is it permitted, Idilkar? Or what sacrifice will your lord have from us? Have we not served him faithfully? Is there aught he wishes? And I felt all their eyes on me, but, above all, were yours that were soon to smile. Therefore I took courage, which the Lord Melkarth granted, and spoke boldly, explaining that I had as yet been able to win no favor, though I had prayed long and fasted and lashed myself with thongs, whereupon Hannibal, the fighter, made as if to tear off my mantle, laughing in his beard. And when I saw they did not believe me, my terror came back. Then it was that Melkarth shed wisdom upon his servant, and, after a moment's thought, I spoke up, thus. Listen, lords, I said, I am a native Carthaginian, like you all, and I reverence the gods. Howbeit it may chance that here, Beyond the sea, it is not so easy to win their favor, so that they shall go before us. New and strange sacrifices and pleadings wherein I am untaught may be needed to pierce the denser ether of this land. Truly, lords, as ye have not failed in piety, neither have I erred in divination. For Melkarth has spoken many times, telling me of the unnumbered woes that would overwhelm the army if it marched upon Rome unbidden, and he hath spoken truth, and I have saved you to revile me for it. Only I would learn if there be yet speech better fitted to his ear. I paused, and they were silent, wondering. Then I spoke on, Grant me, lords, three days that I may journey to Cumea, for I have heard that a woman dwells there, wise in the ways of the gods, and if I bear her rich presence, it may happen that she will teach me the words that shall pierce this dull air, even to where Baal Melkarth sits enthroned in Mapalia, that he may grant all your wishes. So I crossed my arms upon my breast and bowing my head, listened. At Cumae, growled Jubelius Toria who sat near me. Say, rather, at the house of Pacuvius Calavius, and I felt myself trembling. 
for then I knew surely that I had heard Maharbal aright, and that I was suspected. Still, I stood fast, and at last Hannibal spoke. Go to Kumea for three days, he said sternly. Take what you wish. One talent, two, three. Only bring back the words that shall win favor. And Hasdrubal added, And hearken, Lord, if you win not favor, we shall yet march, and peradventure you shall come with us. And if they drive not the nails too deep, but there was an outcry at this, for they trembled lest Malkarth should smite them, and Hasdrubal spoke again, grumbling, Ah, masters, you have not seen soldiers as I have seen them, becoming bloated with wine and food, and soft in the arms of courtesans. But Hannibal interrupted him, crying out to me again, Go, go! There is little time for the march, and it may be we are already too late. Go and do all things so that the Lord Baal Melkarth shall favor us. So I went out, and having taken their talents, I am here. This old sheep has disgorged another talent together with gems. Therefore come now, and we shall escape hence. Marcia saw a dimness before her, amid which his jewels and bracelets and earrings seemed to mingle strange glancings with the fires that burned in his eyes. At last she faltered. But your work, it is not finished. How shall I know if I go with you? The rings on his hands were sinking deep into her wrist. Her lips were close to her ear. Ah, you will not go. You will play with me, deceive me. Listen now. Tomorrow I shall be here with horses and money. In the morning, very early, before light. And you will go like a little bird that is tamed. These days will give us time to gain more, if more be needed. Look, I have hazarded all. Shall I lose my reward now because my work be unfinished by ever so little? It may be that, having gone, I shall not return. Do you think I will leave you here to laugh at me? You will go, or tomorrow, Baal Melkarth shall speak the word, and before midday, Hannibal shall give orders to march to Rome. Why do you think I have gathered this wealth? Look, I have risked all for it, and you shall not escape. Exhausted by his rapid vehemence, he stood back, breathing hard and trying to smile. Ah, moon of Tanis, you will come, he murmured, holding out his arms. We shall escape to Sicily, to Greece, to Egypt, to the far east. We shall be rich with the spoils of fools. A slight scraping noise came to their ears, and both started. Idilkar sprang swiftly to the entrance of the room, but the lamp in the hall had gone out, and his eyes saw nothing in the darkness. Uncertain what to do, he looked back to where Marcia stood, pale and rigid. His voice and hands trembled as he repeated in a loud whisper, "'You will come. You will be ready.' "'Yes,' she said, "'I will come.' But she did not look at him as she spoke. Only she caught the triumphant gleam of his eyes. A thousand weird lights seemed to whirl around her, and she felt herself sinking. It seemed for a moment as if a slave in a gray tunic was supporting her. 
and then all consciousness fled. End of section 25